0: What Was That Like contains adult language and content and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: I have never been afraid of dying before, but this time I was just really scared of dying alone.
0: Welcome to What Was That Like? I'm your host, Scott Johnson. This is the show where we talk to regular people, people just like you or just like me, who have found themselves in an extremely unusual situation. We'll hear their stories and get inside their head because we all want to know, what was that like? More information about each episode at whatwasthatlike.com. Here we go. Have you ever found yourself in some kind of weird situation or predicament, and you actually have no idea how you got there, and you're asking yourself, what just happened? This is something I find really fascinating. When our brain is trying to figure out the reality of what's going on, but it just doesn't have enough information to make sense of it. So the end result is usually confusion, but in some cases, it can be terrifying. Our guest today is Deb, and that's what happened to her one day while she was downhill skiing. It was a beautiful day. She's in fresh snow, and she's having a great time just flying down the mountain. But suddenly, and without any warning, she just stopped. She's on her back and unable to move. Then she finds that breathing is getting more and more difficult. There's no one around. And she has no idea what just happened. If you like these stories and want to be one of the very special listeners who support the show, visit whatwasthatlike.com slash support. And now, here's my conversation with Deb. This happened on a Friday the 13th. Did that cross your mind at all before you went out that day?
1: <laughs> well, I generally do notice when there is a Friday the 13th and I just feel like, all right, let's see what we can do today. And I always expect great things to happen on Friday the 13th.
0: <laughs> wow. I love that. So many people are superstitious. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't leave the house today. No, no. When this happened, you said that most Fridays you and your neighbor, Gary, went skiing. Was that kind of an, like an every Friday thing?
1: Pretty much. Generally, when I, could, when I could do it, and I um, was fortunate enough to have a job where I worked from home. I did um, accounting and bookkeeping, and so I could kind of do my work whenever. And um, he is a veterinarian, and he's a very busy guy, and so he always would take Friday off. So he was going anyway, so we were next-door neighbors, so I would just generally say, come pick me up, and off we'd go most Fridays.
0: And where did you go skiing usually?
1: Well, this was in Colorado, so we had all kinds of great places that we could go. We would generally go to Breckenridge, Keystone, A Basin, Loveland, Vale. That's kind of all in that sort of Summit County, Vale Valley area.
0: And the one, the place you went that day was Keystone Ski Resort in Keystone, Colorado, right? That's right. How far was that from where you live?
1: That's about an hour drive.
0: So it was worth driving an hour to get to some great downhill skiing.
1: Heck yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now you mentioned when you, in the, in the uh, summary that you sent to me, Gary likes to hike to runs that are unknown to the general public.
1: Right. Right.
0: Is that usually allowed at these places or is this all public property? You can go wherever you want.
1: Well, you have, the big thing is you need to stay inbounds if you're going to ski at a ski area. And so that's what we would do. And he would just find places that if you take the ski lift up, then you could maybe um, hike a little bit more and then you can get kind of a, a, an easier jump on the run. So you'd be able to ski it a little bit higher than everybody else. But, you know, we were careful to stay inbounds and just look for the places that weren't as crowded. And Colorado has a lot of, a lot of resorts that have that type of skiing.
0: On that day, you said, you first off, you took a few runs on the front side of the mountain. And then, can you just take us through wh- what happened on that day?
1: We usually take a few warm-up runs. And Keystone is kind of three mountains. It, that's what it looks like on the, on the trail map. It looks like three mountains that are connected by chairlifts. So, you can ski the front side of the mountain, the back side of the mountain, and then Keystone has... This other side that's called the outback. So um, you do a lot of taking chairlifts up and then skiing a run over and then catch the next chairlift to, you know, until you get into the back. And we would just, you know, like we if when we were on the front, we would ski a couple of runs on the front, kind of get warmed up and then head back into the into the more challenging areas. That's what he liked to do. That was his plan. I think I told you he was he was really into like finding fresh powder and cool little spots that other people that a lot of people don't know about. So um, there we were. We were um, kind of going toward the outback. So we skied on to a chairlift called the outback lift. And then that takes about 15 minutes of riding and then got to the top. And then you can there are plenty of runs that, that um, go right off the top of that lift. But of course, Gary, being Gary, knew that that if we hiked up about 10 minutes, we could get onto this ridge that was above where the chairlift let you off. And then up there was always really fresh snow, not a lot of skiers up there. And then we'd ski down. And then we took a run called Stadium Run. So we were on the actual North Bowl of the outback of Keystone, if that makes any sense. (laughs) So once you get, you ski your run, then there is a run out, they call it. And it's just basically sort of a catwalk, which the snow cats use to make their way around the mountain. And that was about a mile of just real easy flat skiing to get back down to the bottom of the lift. So on this day, when we've, when we decided to go ski the North Bowl, we did all that. Gary usually skis in front of me and then he would stop and wait for me because I'm not as fast as he is. And um, we kind of got down to this area. The run was pretty clear. There was probably, oh, almost a foot of fresh snow, maybe. The snow was up to my thighs. And near the bottom and just before that run out is this big stand of trees And there's also sort of a bowl and it looks just like a cereal bowl. Like you want to go into it and then you want to have enough speed going so that you can get out and onto that run out without having to hike or pull too much.
0: You said that the snow was like two or three feet deep?
1: No, no, it wasn't. It was probably about a foot of fresh snow on top of the snow that was already there. I'm not sure what the base was. The base in December was probably in 70, 60, 70 inches. And then the fresh snow on top of that.
0: I'm trying to picture, and you can probably tell, I'm not a skier. So <laughs> where at what level were your skis? Were they at ground level or on the top of the old snow or on top of all the snow? Or how, how did that fit in? Pretty
1: much halfway between the hard snow and the powder snow. So they, my skis would sink down probably about six inches or so, something like that.
0: All right. So you could kind of see what was coming, but if it was something under the snow, you would have no idea.
1: Correct. Yep. Okay. So there we go, um, down into the trees. And so that's where I, you know, slowed down quite a bit, but I did want to have enough speed to get out of that bowl. So I was, you know, as I went along, I was slow enough where I could make quick turns and I could even stop if I needed to. And I I was just thinking to myself as I went along, making really quick decisions, like, watch out for this stump. I see that there. And then coming up as a tree, I need to go around to the right of that, go to the left of that one. So there were enough trees that I had to really watch what I was doing. And you know, knew I had to be careful. But on this run, as I got down there and I was going around the trees, I came to a complete dead stop and I fell backwards onto the snow. And as I laid there for a second, I thought, okay, I fell down. I probably tripped over something or I crossed the tips of my skis together or something happened to cause me to fall. So I wasn't really not that worried about it, but as I laid there and I usually will just catch my breath, get up, keep going, but I couldn't catch my breath. That's the first thing I noticed was why can't I catch my breath? I couldn't, You know, I couldn't get enough breath to sit up and I couldn't really move my arms around. And I'm just thinking, what happened? I I had no idea. So I can tell you what did happen that I did not know at the time. And that is that there was a tree that was fallen over. So it was kind of horizontal to me. And it was probably about mm, two feet off of the ground, the end of it was. And as I came around a big tree, I skied right into the end, the pointy end of that tree that had fallen over. And I was going fast enough where the force was so great that it actually split my pancreas in two right then and there. It split my pancreas in two and shattered my liver. So I had big-time internal injuries. And as I laid there in the snow, my, I was bleeding profusely inside so that was causing my stomach to get really bloated, and then all that pressure was coming up against my lungs, so I couldn't get a good breath.
0: What can I say? When I plan a week of meals, I like to have some variety. And with hundreds of meals to choose from, Cook Unity has that part covered. Go to cookunity.com what or enter code what before checkout to get 50% off your first week. Not too long ago, I tried the cauliflower and chickpea coconut curry. I love curry anyway, but even if you're not normally a fan, you should try this one. It's one of the dishes prepared by Chef Michelle Bernstein here in Florida. She has a couple of restaurants here, and she's also a judge on the TV show Chopped, so you may have already seen her. But aside from the taste, it's the convenience. Because let's face it, even if I knew how to cook, I don't have time. These meals are delivered fully cooked, so when mealtime rolls around... I pick out what I feel like eating, and within just a few minutes, it's ready. No prep and no cleanup. And when I say variety, I'm talking over 350 different meals from dozens of chefs. You can decide based on a chef you like, or protein content, or just what you prefer. The menus are updated weekly, so there's always something new.
1: Make the best meal plan ever with the convenience, chef-level quality, and endless variety of CookUnity. Go to cookunity.com slash what or enter code what before checkout for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using code what or going to cookunity.com slash what. We took
0: it all. We
1: brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth.
0: We made this curse carved in the world on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end,
1: what will I become? Senua Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it
0: now with Game Pass.
1: With everything you have on your
0: plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. But all you knew at that time was something knocked me down and I can't breathe.
1: You got it. Yeah, I was just I was just laying there wondering what happened. I had no idea.
0: That's got to be the most confusing thing. <clears throat> knowing that one second and you're just skiing along and the next second you're on the ground and can't breathe and have no idea what caused it.
1: Exactly. And the, the, the other thing is that I was completely alone. Gary was ahead of me probably by five minutes. And so I knew, I didn't know this at the time, but he had actually waited for me for 10 minutes and then knew something was wrong. But the sort of on a powder day like this people who are you know on the mountain especially back in the bowls they want to ski where nobody else is so you know you kind of want to find your own little fresh powder to ski in by yourself so i was by myself like you guys did exactly yeah we were just creating our own little path and on the trail so um Yeah, there was there was nobody around. I was laying there. I didn't yell out for help or anything like that. I just I just kind of laid there and I was really concerned about breathing. So I would take a breath and it would just be like a really short, just enough to breathe. You know, I couldn't get a deep breath. So one of the miracles that happened was I laid there for about 10 minutes or so, and this guy just comes skiing up in my exact tracks, which was kind of weird. And he skied up and he was like, Hey, are you okay? And I'm like, no, you know, I couldn't really talk much less yell. And, um, so he was like, well, I'm going to go get ski patrol. Do you think you need, do you need help? And I said, yeah, I think I do. So he's like, okay. So he took my skis off. So I was a little more comfortable. And then I asked him to look for Gary too, as he went down, cause he was going to probably go right by him.
0: And he arranged your skis a certain way, right? Can you describe that? He did,
1: yeah. So if you put your skis, stand them up, and then put one against the other and sort of across, and then put them both into the snow, that will signal that there's a hurt skier. So if anybody else came along, they would know that's where I was. And when ski patrol came along, they would look for those skis planted in the snow. Anyway, there I laid, so that was a big, huge relief, and I I just was like, I never knew, I never found out who this guy was, but totally saved my life. So he, he went down to get ski patrol, and so what happens then is that on the other, at the bottom of the hill, or at the bottom of the run where Gary was, after he waited about 10 minutes, he started hiking up to me. But the snow was so deep that he would take one step and sink up to his waist, and then he'd have to get out of that and then put his other foot down. So he was pretty much climbing on his hands and knees trying to get back up and find me. So he did that. Meanwhile, this guy, this angel guy went down, he went out that mile long ski run, that ski out and then got the ski patrol, which usually there's a few of them hanging around like down by the lifts and told them where I was and They got, there were probably four of them. They got on the chairlift and that's a 15 minute ride. So they rode up to the top of the chair and then they had to hike up just in case I was on the top part of that run. And then they fanned out and there's about five runs in this little area of the North Bowl and fanned out and skied down and missed me. So I didn't know any of this. I was laying in the snow and now it had been probably 25 minutes, something like that. And this was when I started to experience just, um, I was getting very, very cold because I was still laying completely in the snow and not being able to breathe. And I started to get really scared. And I have never been afraid of dying before. But this time I was just really scared of dying alone. It was a really weird sensation. And I just was like, well, I guess if I'm going to die, this is probably going to be how it's going to happen. Cause this is by far the most serious thing that's ever happened to me. So um, I laid there and I started to see my life. You know, when people say their life flashes before their eyes, mine kind of went like a film strip and I'd see a, a scene and then it would switch to another scene, switch to another scene. And I was just kind of watching these moments from my life. And then I saw what looked like a vine, like a Jack and the Beanstalk vine, going from where I was up to the sky. And that's how I was going to get to heaven. And I just, the whole, that whole scenario just scared me so bad because I didn't want to do it by myself. So um, I just, I did what, A lot of your, a lot of people do when they're frightened like this. I just began to pray and I was just like, God, you know, give me some company or give me some peace so that I can get through this. And right away, I felt this calming sense that God was with me and that I didn't have to worry and that I would be okay. So from that moment on, I never worried. I never worried about what was wrong. I never worried if I would breathe or anything. I just was like, I'm going to be okay. I know I'm going to be okay. So as I was processing all that, the ski patrol had, at once they missed me, they had to ski back down that the snow snowcat track and get back onto the chairlift. So they had to do, repeat that thing all over again. And after 45 minutes, they did find me. But the nice thing was, the, another miracle that happened was, if they had found me on the first time on their first try, I probably wouldn't have made it because I was bleeding out so much from my internal injuries that the um, the cold, just sitting in the cold for that long, slowed all of my systems down. So I started to not bleed as much. So I was laying there for forty-five minutes rather than twenty minutes is probably what saved my life. The ski patrol showed up right about the same time as Gary did. And they were all gathered around me and they, they said, well, Deb, I'm, I'm glad to see you you know, that you're um, able to talk to us. Um, but we do need to let you know that you're as far away from the bottom as you could possibly get on this mountain. And it's going to take us at least an hour to get you out of here and down to the bottom. And, you know, I was like, okay, that's, I, again, I had that reassurance from God that I was going to be okay. So I was like, all right, whatever. (laughs) So they, um, got me onto a backboard and then they put the backboard onto one of those sleds. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things, but they're, um, around at ski areas and they look, they look basically like a kid's sled, they're red, and then you have all the padding inside of it. So they, put me in one of those, but they couldn't normally, uh, ski patroller will just pull the sled, but they couldn't do that because of the run out was going to be really bumpy and they didn't want to, you know, hurt me any more than what I already was.
0: Because yeah, they didn't know if you might have a back injury or be paralyzed or something. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah. They had, they had a neck thing on me thinking maybe I had broken my back, but all they knew was that I couldn't breathe. And otherwise, that's basically all they knew. They couldn't, there was no scratches on me, not a mark on me. So they couldn't really like take my coat off and really get in there and check and see um, if they could address any internal injuries, which I don't think they could have done. But their uh, their main concern was, let's just get her off the mountain. So um, Gary came along too, and we got down to where the ski lift goes up. And in this part of the in this part of the area it's going to be kind of hard to describe but to get out and get to the front side of the mountain you have to take a chairlift out as well. So you ride a chairlift in to get into this spot and then you also take a chairlift out. And so they pull up to the chairlift and I'm like I'm not getting on it. I don't think I can get on a chairlift.
0: Right because you're on a you're on a backboard. Yeah. And then the backboard is inside it's it's a like a, when you said a kid's sled, like the kind with little walls around uh-huh. each side. Okay. Yeah, uh, so. so it's not like I'm picturing initially. Initially, I was thinking toboggan, but this no. is a like a little sled. So you're not going to fall off the fall no. off of one side or the other. Then okay. No, no. But not designed for uh, to to ride on a chairlift, though.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> but these guys were great. They really knew what they were doing. So they. They got, one got on the far end of the chairlift and the other one got on the other. This is on the seat of the chairlift. And then the third guy handed me to them and then I just rode in between them. And then we took the chairlift up and out of there. And um, at the top, when we got off, there was another ski patrol person waiting with these big hot water bottles. And I just was like, oh, <laughs> relief. Cause I just was so, so cold. And then from the rest of that, from the top that we got off on, on the front side of the mountain, then we had to ski down or they skied down with me. So my head is facing downhill and they're basically ski slash carrying me down to the bottom. And we got down to the bottom and Gary's wife was there. He had gotten in touch with her. And so they were with me. It was really nice to have two friends there. And then, There was an ambulance waiting, and so they put me in the ambulance, and they took me over to the Keystone Medical Center, which at the time, this was in 2002, they were, it was right there at the base of the mountain. And it was basically just, you know, sort of an urgent care type place that's, you know, they were used to seeing broken arms, blown out knees, wrists, you know, normal ski type injuries, but they didn't know really what to do with me. And so, They got, we got in and they put me in a room and I still could not breathe. And at that point they wanted to take a look at, you know, just like to see what, what in the world they were dealing with. So they, they had to cut off some of my clothes and that I was just like, oh man, (laughs) don't cut off my nice Patagonia under long underwear. And, you know, worried about my coat and stuff like that. And they took every, they took my jacket And my shirt off, and they could see that my belly was just really, really big. Probably like a, I don't know, six or seven month pregnant woman, about like that. But they were just confused. Like, why isn't there any kind of, there was no scrape or anything where this impact happened? And that's another miracle that happened that day. And that was that when we got to the area that morning, and we had gotten out of the car, started to walk toward the lift. I was like, you know, I'm going to grab a vest because I'm a little bit cold. So I went back to the car and put a vest on, and then that zipper with of the vest and the zipper of my coat lined up so that when I hit the tree, it stopped. The zippers stopped the impact from it going into my, piercing my skin. So um,
0: you could have been impaled.
1: Right? Oh, I totally could have been impaled. Yeah, it was even kind of sharp on the end. So that's what stopped it. That's the only thing that stopped it. So then they like they just said we can't we really can't help you, you know, we can't address this need. You really need to go to a trauma one medical center. And that happened to be in Vail, which was about 30 miles away. And so they they put me back into another ambulance. And then by then I was starting to get some pain medications because I was, I mean, just the pain in my gut, I felt like I'd just been, well, (laughs) punched or run into something. It was very, very painful. And then they just uh, set the sirens going and got me up to the Vale Valley Medical Center. And this is when they started, there was a lot of rushing around and I could hear them talking about me. I was awake the whole time and they were trying to get my crit levels, which is like you get a reading out of your arteries instead of your veins. And they couldn't get, they just couldn't get that reading. And they kept thinking that I was crashing so that I could hear them saying, you know, get the operating room going now. She's crashing all this. And meanwhile, I'm still going, I don't think so. Um, God told me that I was going to be okay. So (laughs) I'm not going to I'm not going to sit here and be concerned about it.
0: But for a lot of people, those are the last words they ever hear, you know. I know. She's, she's crashing. We're losing her.
1: Exactly, exactly. But I just kind of was like, well, we're going to do what we have to do. And at this point, my husband John, he had Gary had called John from Keystone. And so he was about 125 miles west of me in Denver. So he got in his car and started driving. He got to Vail when I did. And they assessed me and assessed me, and they stabilized me somehow. But they said, you're going to need a surgery that's going to need a specialist. We're going to need you to go to Denver. And I'm thinking, okay. um,
0: Better call an Uber.
1: Better call an Uber ambulance again, (laughs) getting into my third (laughs) ambulance. They took me to the, the helipad there in Vail. And... I had just enough time to say hi to my husband. And then they basically were like, okay, everybody, we're going to Denver. So.
0: And your husband had just come from Denver, right?
1: Exactly. Yep. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So he was going back there. Did did he, was was he able to ride in the helicopter with you?
1: No, I wish he would have. It was really cool. (laughs) So, um you know, we get in this little tiny helicopter and I was just amazed because they had a pilot in there. They had a paramedic and they had a nurse and they had me and it was really small. And I just decided to enjoy the ride. You know, I thought this is amazing flying over the Rocky mountains in a helicopter. So while I was doing that, I got um, a blood transfusion and then we landed in Denver at the St. Anthony's Medical Center. And all these personnel come running out. And I just remember thinking, man, this is just like on ER. (laughs) I'm on a medical show. So they um, grabbed me, rushed me inside, and I had to wait for my surgeon to become available. And by 9.30, I was going in for surgery. So I crashed at 11.45 in the morning, and then had surgery at 9.30 at night till about one in the morning. And what they did was they had to. They had to staple up my liver, and then they had to remove my two-thirds of my pancreas and my spleen, and then sewed me back up.
0: When did you finally figure out what had actually happened or what caused this?
1: I think that between Gary and the ski patrol, somewhere in that ambulance ride over to the Keystone Medical Center is when they told me that it looks like you ran into a tree.
0: Because they could probably tell by, the, by where you were in the snow because you yes. hadn't moved nope. by the time they got there. And if there was a little pointy end of a tree right there, that <laughs> put yes. two and two together, it's exactly. pretty obvious.
1: Yes, guilty.
0: Huh. So have you had a full recovery? I mean, are there, are there any lingering effects?
1: I still have some, but not, not, much, not much at all. I, I did end up breaking a little bone in my back which we never really addressed. I mean, the other things were way more important. And so that gives me trouble sometimes. And I do have, you know, reoccurring pain sometimes. But really, I'm leading I'm leaving a pretty good life.
0: You've mentioned that this ha- th- the fact that this happened gave you a new perspective on life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What, what, what is that new perspective or how did that change your, your mind?
1: Well, um, I really felt that God is, is there for me in a very personal way. So that was a very huge knowledge to have. I, I uh, rely on that quite often. And the fact that life is short, of course. And um, I just try to make the most out of every day that I can. Good way to live. Yeah.
0: And really, you know, as we record this, we're kind of in the initial stages of the 2020 coronavirus situation Indeed. and uh i think a lot of people are kind of giving the thoughts to the big picture and yeah. life and how how we are actually mortal you went back to thank those who saved your life what was that like
1: yeah so about well when i was in the hospital for about 8 days and so i'm going to say probably 2 months later i went up to keystone and i was able to go into the medical center I was able to go to the Flight for Life, which was the helicopter, the medical helicopter place, and I was able to speak with the ski patrol, the guy that found me, and they were all just surprised to see that I had survived it. They they all thought I would I would uh, die from my injuries. So that was um, that was sobering.
0: That's got to be gratifying for them to know yeah
1: exactly they all did had a part in it and saved my life forever grateful
0: but the one the one guy the guy that found you in the snow you've never connected with him again
1: who are you angel (laughs) december 13th 2002 if you're skiing in the north Pole, let me know i would love to say thanks
0: keystone ski resort if you were there and found somebody laying in the snow get in touch we'll we'll connect you too
1: yeah that'd be great
0: I understand you went skiing again.
1: I knew I would I would ski again. I can't just fall off the horse and stay off. And so we had a unique opportunity at A Basin in Colorado. Stays open until usually the end of June. So on Friday, the 13th of June, Gary and I went skiing again and... Had a great time. I didn't ski very long. It wasn't anything uh, too exciting. But, man, it it felt so good to just get back on the horse.
0: And the fact that it was on another Friday the 13th, I guess that that kind of proves that you are in no way superstitious about that day.
1: I don't think so. I don't think so.
0: I'm not either. (laughs) (laughs) That is pretty cool. I was surprised that there's still snow in June.
1: I know it. I know it. Some years are better than others, but yeah, they're up at about 12,000 feet or something like that. They're way up there.
0: So you went back and and do you still ski today?
1: You know, I skied for about four or five years and then I just started, uh, I I just started to get older and more tired. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And I just was like, yeah, maybe not, not so much anymore, but I, I still like to do some snowshoeing when I can and Things that are are a little less exciting.
0: Yeah, but it's great to exercise outdoors, though.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah.
0: Thanks for sharing your story with us.
1: Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. I love your show. It's fabulous.
0: All right. Just a couple of things before we head out the door. First up, we have lots of new listeners. I am so happy when I hear from people who are just now discovering the show. And I know a lot of people have found this podcast because of an episode trade I did with Wit Misseldine, who's the host of the podcast, This Is Actually Happening, which is an amazing show if you haven't already heard it. You definitely need to go and check it out. So if you're new to the show, I wanted to let you know how you can get involved and how you can get in touch. First up, probably the best way to do that is through the private Facebook group. Lots of discussions going on there. You know, we talk about episodes, upcoming guests. Sometimes I'll put a poll up to see what the group thinks about a particular story that I'm thinking about doing, all kinds of stuff. And quite a few of the actual guests you hear on this show are in that group and can answer questions. So check it out. It's at whatwasthatlike.com Facebook. I'm also on Instagram. I post there almost every day and Twitter as well. And if you're a Reddit user or a Redditor, this show has its own subreddit. Now that's still getting off the ground. So go over there and join the group. And that's at reddit.com r slash was that like. And I'm also building the What Was That Like YouTube channel. So you can subscribe to that if you want. I've got several episodes up already. WhatWasThatLike.com slash YouTube. Okay, I think that covers the various ways you can find this podcast all over the internet. And we've gotten a few more Apple podcast reviews in recently. So I wanted to take a look at those. First up, we have Ellen PDX Girl, who wrote... And her subject line is, came from, this is really happening, meaning this is actually happening, loved the story shared on a similar podcast, which is named in the title of this review, subscribed, can't wait to hear more, love the tempo, tone, and listening skills of the host, whose guests are from all walks of life. Then we have LRC Vermont, who wrote, what an awesome show thrilled to be introduced and eagerly binging these intense stories and experiences and then finally we have no roads who wrote i'm a new listener from this is actually happening i've only had the chance to listen to a few episodes so far but i'm totally hooked i love hearing these amazing stories in the first person i'm an artist and thought i had reached the end of the podcast road Wouldn't that be depressing to reach the end of the podcast road? I'm so happy I have some fascinating new content to keep me company while I paint long hours. Keep it up. Lindsay. So thanks, Lindsay. And for the others who wrote in, I really appreciate all those kind words. Now the show has to live up to that. And believe me, I have new episodes in the works, and you're going to love what's coming up. In the meantime, stay safe, and I'll see you in two weeks.